Welcome back to the mentors. The mentors. All right, we're supposed to say it together in unison. That's our shtick. You threw me off. I wasn't expecting Ah. it. Welcome back to the mentors. This is Vadim. And Sergey. And this is a show where we tell stories about ordinary people that became extraordinary entrepreneurs despite lack of experience, money, or connections. And today on the show, we have Amanat who started uh, a company called SoPen, and she's actually an industrial designer. She's been voted Forbes 30 Under 30, part of the Mass Challenge Accelerator, winners of the UNICEF business competition, raised $28,000 through Kickstarter, won some money uh, through that business competition, of course, as well, and now they're entering an incubator in Washington, D.C. called Halcyon. And by the way, she's been able to accomplish all of this by only 25 years old. Thank you so much for being on the show, Amina. Thank you for having me. So I guess uh, the first thing that we want to talk about is where this all began, how you even got the idea to start this company. Yeah, so me and my co-founder, Shabam, we graduated from Parsons in 2015. And, you know, the summer right before we were starting our jobs, um, both of us were more in furniture and architectural jobs. We had a month off and were thinking maybe we should try to leverage this to be a little productive, but something fun. You guys already had jobs lined up when yes. you graduated? Yes. Okay. So in architecture, you said? Yeah, I was working for an architecture firm, but um, in the furniture division. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you just wanted to sort of keep yourself occupied busy, busy yeah. in the summer? Yeah. Okay. So it seemed like uh, our college experience was very hands-on, a lot of building. And we actually had like, right after we graduated, we still had two months more of shop access and we just didn't want to let that go. <laughs> and then, so we we were using that and also thinking, let's try to find something else that can, you know, continue to keep us creative, more like a brief. We were also used to that because of college, you know, getting a project brief and then working on a solution for it. And that's when we found a competition called the Unilever Wearables for Good competition. Um, And it was also by Frog Design and Arm. Uh, We found it through Frog's website, which is a really big design company and one we really look up to. Um, And this competition highlighted problems that mothers and children face around the world. There was eight different topics, and one of them was water and sanitation, specifically hand washing. So the, the statistic goes like one, over 1.5 million children under the age of five die each year due to infectious disease illnesses like diarrhea that are preventable by the simple act of hand washing. So we, we saw this statistic. We grew up in India. We knew that sanitation was a problem, but didn't really think about the statistics even around it. So we decided to just enter the competition with a simple sketch and see where it goes. And a few months later, we ended up winning the competition. And that's kind of how it all began. Wow. So at this point, um, you're doing this as a project, really. When you were studying in school, did you think you were going to start something someday? Is it something maybe that was far in the future or not even something you considered? I think something that was like very far in the future. I think... um, In the beginning, I never really thought I would start anything because not so much because I wasn't interested in entrepreneurship, but more so because I'm not from this country and I don't I never thought it would be easy to start a business um, when I just moved to a new country, like when I was just graduating from a university in a new country. But I, I think I've always been passionate about entrepreneurship or I've always been looking at new concepts, but never really been thinking about myself as like owning a business. And where do you think you got that? passion from 
I think new ideas just excite me. I think, I mean, everyone, anyone who's in design, they're always looking at it. Um, a lot, all my family is also entrepreneurs, but I never, I don't know, didn't think uh, about what, it. What kind of entrepreneurship do, do you have in your family? Um, more, uh, it's more automotive and hospitality. But you, you grew up around business, basically. And, yeah. And how, I don't know, around the dinner table, maybe your family was talking about it as well. Yeah. So you're well versed in it. And, I, and in terms of the passion piece, you know, I, I remember even Mark Cuban saying how, uh, you know, a lot of times these days people are searching for passion when uh, when you actually come across a problem and you start working at it. A lot of times the passion develops organically by itself. And it sounds like that's what happened for you. Yeah. I think, I think it was also, you know, there was... A part of me that studied furniture design and product design and I really I thought I thought I was good at that and I wanted to continue because I found I thought I found my skill I wanted to continue growing that but I was still interested in the part that I hadn't explored which is more consumer goods or other products that weren't in the architectural furniture space and this was that was I think the main reason I was inclined towards a competition like this because I wanted to make sure I was still learning other parts of the field that I was interested in. Interesting. So obviously you've been exposed to it a little bit, but you were focusing on furniture at the time. Mm -hmm. Would you say that your background as an industrial designer sort of really helped you in giving you a foundation to launch this type of business? I think so. Yeah, I think a lot of it, at least in consumer goods, there's a big packaging component to it. And I think that's funny enough. I think that's where we've made our most mistakes, even though that's where we've our background has been in. Um, but yeah, I think that that part of it keeps me passionate about it and also I think it, it's kind of like my anchor. Based on sort of what you just said too, I, I think part of it is for a lot of people, would, a lot of people wouldn't even think of starting this company because uh, maybe even the packaging or the design component of the product itself is so intimidating for them if they can't do it themselves mm -hmm. that they wouldn't even think of doing it or they would just be stopped in their tracks because the challenge yeah. to overcome to find the right people to design it would be hard. So I think that is also that what enabled you to actually build it. So you found this competition, you made a sketch, you applied. So what happened next? Because you're still not thinking about this as a business at this point. Yeah, we were still, you know, we were still working, seeing where it goes. I try to go to India typically once every year and a half. My family's all still there. Um, and when we became finalists, we had two weeks to again to resubmit our pitch. Um, it, this involved like more of a video and it was more intensive than the, than the original pitch. So at that point, I was like, okay, maybe we should go home, um, try to go to a few schools, see if this concept is going to work um, in the most ad hoc way possible. We didn't have still a formula, but we're thinking of, you know, we could recreate the scene, see what the problems are. Um, and that's when we realized that there were a lot of, a lot of um, companies donating soap to schools, but it was still treated as a very precious commodity, wherein... Um, around lunchtime they do wash their hands which is great like thank god for that but um essentially the bottle of soap that's donated is kept in a in a closet put away by the teacher because of the fear of misuse or the, the bottle being stolen so it's not it's not the the soap isn't being used as often as it needs to and that's when we realized that more than it just being a fun idea where um soap and you can draw with it on your hands um the product positioning is also going to be really beneficial once it's out in the world where where teachers can you know mark the student's hand in the classroom and not have to assist them to the bathroom each time where that's where it's challenging for 
the teacher who has, you know, too many cl- too many students in one classroom. Well, so when you're saying mark the student's hand, I'm assuming that that's the application of your uh, yes. yourself. How did you even think of that, though, that, that type of application? We were just thinking of what's something that's fun for kids to do, and drawing is one of them. And it was just thinking about, okay, what's something that they already do, especially at younger ages, thinking about the fact that three to five, three to six, that's where a lot of habit formation happens, um, and what trying to incorporate something that they're already used to doing. So, You mentioned uh, in the pre-interview that in that early stage when you were still developing the concept, you were getting a lot of mentorship when you didn't really even have anything there. Yeah. Um, what was? Do you remember what was some bad advice that you got from a mentor? Bad advice? Hmm. I'll have to think about that one. Or conflicting advice because sometimes we have multiple mentors and this happens all the time. People that are successful but... People have different opinions as well, and you'll get yeah. conflicting advices, and you kind of have to make the decision yourself as the, as the yeah, founder. And, and if not bad advice, maybe just something that you didn't know what to do with because you weren't ready. Yeah, maybe it wasn't the right time for that advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we like to help people interpret uh, the information that they get from their mentors as well. So curious to hear if you can think of that. I think, honestly, we do get a lot of bad advice around packaging and like the design element of it. Um, I think a lot of mentors that we meet eventually they're telling us to be in retail and I don't know if that's our plan yet that's still something we're working on but I think the way you design packaging for retail is very different than the way you design packaging for an e-commerce business and I think right now ours is more geared towards that those are our immediate plans Um, so that's advice that we're always trying to just block off a little bit more that makes a lot of sense and some of these decisions you have to make yourself too. Maybe yeah. uh, Steve Jobs was kind of a, a notorious for this. He uh, had a very um, specific design sense just mm-hmm. from growing up and his experience and background. And he uh, would disregard people's advice about that all the time. So then on the flip side, was there any good guidance or advice that you got at that point in time? Because you hadn't been an entrepreneur before that. So mm-hmm. you didn't know what steps to take necessarily. So how did you figure that out? I think the asking part was has been the most important, like just learning to ask a lot of people for help wherever we need it and not thinking that we can do everything ourselves or need to even be able to understand, not understand, but know, be experts on every part of every field. Um, so I think the hardest part for the business so far was coming up with the chemical formula of the soap itself. Um, and that took us a long time to get to. So talk about that process actually for us because you it sounds like the target you identified or at least where your customers are is that in India and Asia and other areas where there's issues like this. So you have to keep costs low as well. Yeah. So talk us through that process. How did that it, it makes sense that it took a long time but Yeah. So it was a big back and forth. Originally we thought maybe we would manufacture in India because obviously cost is going to be probably the most competitive there but over time, what we realized was that the timelines of our manufacturing process in India were extremely long and not efficient and not particularly, we weren't happy with the quality ever. Um, and we realized that our resources here in the in the States would probably help us get to our goals a lot faster. And that was really important to us. Specifically in this industry, there's a lot of contract manufacturers in the soap industry that you have to your disposal here that we didn't in India. And the formula part of it itself, I think um, people in the, uh, or at least businesses here, we've been lucky to have 
had a lot of people help us just because they like the story they like um they like the product they think it's fun um and they want to see see it grow i think a lot of people are very passionate about growing businesses here which is really nice to be a part of so i remember after our first after the first year of our business being incorporated where we really weren't doing very much for the business it was just around you know right after we'd won the competition still figuring things out we were finding we we realized that we need to you know pay taxes for the first time hadn't done business taxes ever so we were finding a CPA in the city and our CPA recommended another consumer goods company a much bigger one and just gave us the connection and we emailed him we emailed the founder of the company and the next day he was like why don't you come into our office we were obviously like shocked that someone would be so generous with their time and not just time it's been resources they kind of lent us a lot of their chemical engineering team and um connected us to their early manufacturers this is um, another soap another company? soap company okay. um so they connected us to their manufacturers and that's who we're using with using for this round of production so the going back to the manufacturing piece again i think being young hasn't been in, in our advantage cuz I, I think we've probably called like every soap manufacturer in the country at this point. And it's a lot of times when they hear us on the, on the phone or like look at us online, they're impressed. And the second we go meet them in person, I think they look at how young we are and they kind of start trying to, you know, double their prices or start talking about all the challenges that, that are going to come uh, like come along with the manufacturing of this, that we realize that the age is probably what the barrier is. Do you remember how much you paid in taxes that first year? Because a lot of entrepreneurs don't know that they're, if you don't make any money, you still have to pay taxes. Yep. Do you remember that? And yeah. how much you spent on the CPA? Yeah, we spent um, 500 on the CPA and about 1500 on taxes. Yeah. So even though you guys didn't make any revenue that first year, right? Yeah. So entrepreneurs out there that are thinking of starting, you have to have a reserve of at least a couple thousand dollars, probably more, yeah. of just erroneous expenses such as taxes, minimum franchise fees that you have to pay just to exist as a company, so keep that in mind. Um, I typically wouldn't recommend somebody to form an, an, a corporation until they have to take investment or until they have customers or something that creates liability for them. Um, you guys had to do that early on because you got some funding from UNICEF. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, you, you mentioned that uh, you can get meetings on the phone with these manufacturers, obviously, but then when you meet in person, sometimes the conversation shifts yeah. because of your age. So how do you deal with that? Um, we haven't had any luck. It's the manufacturer we ended up going through going are going forward with was through a connection and we haven't met them in person so maybe that's what's worked yeah this is an issue for a lot of people and i guess i would say uh you have to be your authentic self push yeah. continue pushing with your vision uh other people are still gonna have issues with it but it yeah. shouldn't necessarily affect you uh, and you have to push through it and i think if you can go through a personal contact there's nothing like it so you mentioned now that, uh, you know, you, you, the, the manufacturing problem was probably the biggest thing to yeah. consider at this point. Uh, have you had your first run of production? It's in process right now. So it's um, starting on September 5th. The packaging is set to arrive there. The packaging is done and then in, but we're going to launch on October 15th online, which is also a global hand washing day. And do you have customers lined up? So we've been lucky with a lot. We've been lucky with press so far. Um, I think because of Forbes, we also won a James Dyson competition. Um, he was he, he was a really famous industrial designer. I'm sure everyone knows Dyson as the company, but they also have a foundation. 
um, where every year they put out a competition for industrial designers. So we applied to that right around the time we won the UNICEF competition, um, and we were we were we were national finalists for that. So with that, they've they we've had a few press opportunities with Forbes and UNICEF. We've had a few press opportunities and. Whenever we have either of those, we get a lot of requests from people wanting to order. And we've always, we followed up with all the customers a few times. And at, at different points, we've actually had enough product to say, hey, can we fulfill this? Uh, we, or we would like to fulfill this. And we've been able to do a few orders um, over the last like month or two. So you actually already have uh, the, some... Some of it. How many units? Um, we had like 100 two months ago, and then we've had... We have like 200 now. And how were you, when you would get people coming from these, reading these articles, mm-hmm. how would you capture those leads? It was on our on our website. We just had our email address and people were emailing us. Oh, so you didn't even have a, no. a form, email form or? Um, in the beginning we didn't, but now we have a pre-order form. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So you got demand even despite that. Um, so I, I have to ask though, because... There's a lot of entrepreneurs that we work with that come to us. Um, for me at NYU and previously Venture for America for Redeem, for Redeem and his work in universities, they come and they've been working on uh, a product for six months or a year. They, you know, they have something amazing that they think needs to exist in this world. They figured out the the whole supply chain manufacturing process, but once they put it in the market. It's crickets because they never actually did the validation of that somebody would actually mm. buy it or somebody needs it. So, at what point did you start validating that, and how did you do? How did you know? What did you do to figure out that people would buy this product? I think, luck in our case, it was the winning the UNICEF competition up front and getting those emails of people asking us, "Where can I buy this?" So, I think we had a lot of emails um, asking people asking us, and I think it's it's not a it's not a difficult product. You know, it's it's very easy it's a very relatively easy product and it's fun so uh, i think when whenever we've had any kid try using it they have so much fun with it that it's hard i think it's hard for them to resist so so where did you uh, find the kids to use it that's also been i think that's been a little bit of a struggle um uh we don't know a lot of kids around around here but that's just been i think networking um reaching out to schools, talking to their principals, um, asking them to come in for demos wherever we can. We found a pop-up event once at the Children's Museum in New York, and we did a small event there. So just wherever we can. And asking, I think, oh, we're also in a residency right now uh, with a packaging company called Design and Source, um, and they're starting a new like lab residency. It's a free co-working space. Um, And in exchange for the space, you have to work on a group project. So... Um, that entire team has been really helpful to us, especially with packaging and um, helping us grow in a lot of ways. So a lot of their contacts, we we just asked them, do you know any children around? I love how resourceful you guys have been. <laughs> you know, you uh, you have free office space, you have uh, money that you've been able to actually get to sustain the business. You've been leveraging the network to build partnership, build mm-hmm. other relationships. I mean, that's exactly what you have to do as an entrepreneur because you can't do everything yourself. Yeah. And you also have a co-founder, right? Yes. And how did you guys meet? Was it through the competition? No, we went to college together. So me and my co-founder both are from New Delhi and... We didn't know each other in India, but we were in college together all four years. And we, when we graduated, 
that's when we decided to enter the competition together. So I'm curious, how do you guys uh, divide responsibilities in the business? That's actually also another really hard part, I think, because a lot of our skills are exactly the same and we're always complaining to each other about it. But I think with the Halcyon Incubator and now being a little bit more further along where we have more responsibilities, we're slowly starting to learn how to divide things. But I think that I think that's something that we have to always be talking about on a more day-to-day basis, but it's still, I don't think it's as efficient as it needs to be. Now, what about decision-making? Uh, hmm. How do you guys handle that? I'm assuming, do you have 50-50 ownership? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how do you guys, uh, yeah, split decision-making? Hmm. Are you the CEO? Yes. Even though we all know it's a symbolic title. It's, yeah, doing it, was, it was just mm-hmm. like symbolic, um, but I... I think a lot of our decisions have been luckily pretty much the same Um, on a lot of things. uh, We haven't had any big disagreements, but I think we've had a few mistakes that I think one big mistake that I've made or one big mistake that I think she's made. And we've kind of realized that we shouldn't get mad at each other at each other about it. And I think that's been the bigger learning I think a quick mentoring moment for, for anyone out there listening that's figuring out how to work with their co-founder. It's really important in the beginning. And by the way, this is not easy if you've never run a company, but working with people that can help you figure out what are the most major decisions of that business and setting the expectation together that you will align or you will be aligned on certain decisions um, together that are that are very you know important for the company mm-hmm. uh, that you'll have a process for making certain decisions together yeah. but then also in the beginning dividing areas where one of you is going to own something and the other is going to own something else now sometimes you can't do this in the first couple months yeah but once you figure out what's core to the business yeah even if you have similar skill sets, sometimes you have to kind of have a parting line and have one person own something, the other person own something else, and they're the ultimate decision maker, even though we know that you work together every day yeah. and you're going to be making decisions together on a daily yeah. basis. But having that conversation early on, even if it's a little awkward and uncomfortable, is really important. I also think my co-founder is really good at having those awkward conversations. Like I will shy away from them, but she'll want to discuss everything up front, which is why I think I like I value that a lot. Um, I think another thing for us was also whenever we struggle with making a decision, we we decided that, okay, before we decide on anything, we'll reach out to a mentor that's not the two of us um, to help us guide that decision. That's smart. So it sounds like you guys, first of all, agreed, let's not get mad at each other. And yeah. second of all, let's filter our major decisions through other parties before we kind of come yeah. to a decision. Um, I wanted to ask... You were initially motivated to build this product because of the major issue of of sanitation uh, and hygiene in India, especially, I'm sure, in in poor areas that don't have access to soap. Um, I believe I saw an article that your first one is going to be is going to be five dollars per uh, around that uh, yeah per, 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 for the unit that you're selling. Mm-hmm. So who is your initial target customer? Because you probably can't sell it for five dollars in India. So who are you mm-hmm. targeting first here? So it's going to be more of a buy one, give one. Um, right here in the US. So in DC, we'll be trying to do as many pop-ups as we can. Um, We have one lined up for the end of September and um, the rest will be online. So there's also, I think in the US, there's a big sanitizer problem um, where sanitizers are known to kill the natural immunity, kills a lot of the good bacteria on your hand too. And whenever we go to classrooms here, it's all we see. 
especially when you know when there is such easy access to water it's a little surprising why soap isn't being implemented so we are still targeting schools and daycares here i think it's still a fun product it's still like um it's still a teaching tool essentially and parents are still asking for it here you mentioned buy one give one mm. Can you share with us the unit economics, basically, how much it, it takes you to build it? And- so the buy one, give one, in complete honesty, is something we're still working on. The buy one, give one um, was the initial concept, and it's something that we say we say kind of to just to get the idea across of what we're eventually trying to build. But we're still toying between the idea of how many exactly like units we're going to donate opposed to how many hand-washing campaigns we're going to do with NGO partners. Um, and a lot of that, I think, has come through like learning about how the buy one, give one isn't actually like respected in the social innovation sphere at all and how it can, you know, not particularly help local economies. And that is something we've realized is also very important to us. So again, that's something we're focusing a lot more on in the next five months. The last few months have been more focusing on figuring the supply chain out. But that's going to be our next focus. Got it. So uh, maybe when there's economies of scale is when you'll be able to uh, consider that. But I am curious. So you're selling it for $5. Mm-hmm. How much does it cost to make it? Do I have to disclose that? You don't have to. If you're not comfortable. <laughs> it is still pricey. It's mm-hmm. pricey. It's more expensive than most soap companies do. That's why I don't want to disclose it. Because I think a lot of people are like, at that. it's not particularly like smart for you to do it at that, at that cost. But if we do, I think if at five, we'll be enough to keep like the company going. But I think around 650, if we price that, it'll be easy for us to donate product. So got it, because you, you're donating a whole other unit. Yeah. It, it eats into your margin a lot. That makes mm-hmm. sense. And also, just so you know, I mean, every entrepreneur deals with this issue too. Yeah. Uh, you know, we interviewed Wandering Bear Coffee uh, and they sold their coffee to businesses. In the beginning, they uh, completely mispriced their product yeah. and they went through many, many iterations of the pricing. We mispriced once before. Yeah, and it's yeah. okay. You'll figure it out. And also, uh, you need to be in the market to understand how sensitive it is to price changes. So uh, I believe you're, when are you launching your e-commerce site? October 15th. October 15th. Global hand washing day? Yes. I did not know that off the top of my head. You told me earlier. <laughs> and it, what's your URL, by the way? www.sopen.com okay uh, got it and so you're obviously you're creating all the marketing for it I'm sure right now mm-hmm. who are you marketing it to because you are still sort of in the process of selling your initial units here mm-hmm. and there is it to the parents to the teachers to the kids how are you marketing it parents primarily I think it's the fastest to go directly to consumer at this point I think for the business to be a little bit more scalable it'll be best if we do like business to business like business to like um from soap and to other daycares or schools, but it's faster for us to go directly to customer at this stage. So your first run of production is going to be sort of to set you up for October. Yeah. Uh, when will you have the units? And also talk us through how you figured out how many to even uh, put together. So how many is just the bare minimum the factory was willing to work with us on. I think that was um, something that also drove a few of our packaging decisions initially we started with a product that was a lot smaller um, thinking that'll be easier for kids to hold realized over time that that's not really true they need a little bit more something that's a little bit chunkier for grip Um, and that was also reducing the number of ounces a lot so we've eventually figured out how many what the minimum ounces the 
factory needs and um, we wanted to have we wanted to launch with three colors that's what we promised our kickstarter backers before we knew how hard it would be to get <laughs> that many colors on board in the beginning so we're doing 10,000 units um, of with three colors so about like 3,000 something of each interesting uh, and when is the shipment coming in uh, last week of September. You already have a factory set up to accept it, or you just mm-hmm. uh, th- the warehouse. Oh, the warehouse. Sorry, um, yeah. that's going to be just our where we're living in DC. Love it. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. So uh, I have one more question. I believe you you made it on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Congratulations. That's a that's a great honor. Uh, I know that our audience would be curious. How does someone make it on that list? How did that happen for you? Um, it was. Right around my birthday, we actually, I remember we, I, we were, the list was actually announced on my birthday, so that, that made it fun, but you get nominated for it. I don't know how, but I, they do put out a call for nominations, mm. and once you get nominated for it, there's just a form that you have to submit off the questions that they're asking you, and that's about it. And then is it voted by the public then somehow? No, it's okay. a, I think it's a... They select it. They select it. Got it. Okay, very cool. Um, based on this conversation here, uh, it sounds like you guys are onto something really amazing. Thank um, you. You're uh, building something that needs to exist. And we also, I think we have two really interesting introductions for you. Uh, one is Mary McGrew, who is the founder of Soapply, which is also a social goods soap company. Cool. Um, and one. she was on this podcast and awesome. she's been at it for a couple of years. So we'll definitely connect you to the other is Michael Levine. Uh, I don't recall the name of his company right now, but he uh, sells essentially a, a food for children, like healthier alternative for school lunches for kids all over the country and all over New York public schools. But now it's all over the country. I oh, think wow. they're, they're, they're doing, I think it was 10 million in sales, maybe more. Um, so that introduction, he probably will be able to help you potentially with intros to schools down the line when you guys already have a proven you know, production, all the supply chain, making mm-hmm. sure that you guys could fulfill orders like mm-hmm. that. But even even so, you could learn how to sell to schools from him early on. Oh, yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. Happy to do that. So one last question, Sergey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a lot of challenges, obviously. Yes. Uh, supply chain has been probably the biggest one up until now. What's the biggest challenge now going forward amongst all the challenges that you're facing? I think it's going to be our like market, go-to-market strategy. I think a lot of people are are advising us on whether we should do retail or um, online or how we should get creative with it. I think even going back to your earlier question about unit economics, I think we still don't particularly know what our customer acquisition costs are going to be. So understanding exactly all of that, I think, is going to be the big challenge in the next two, two, three months and then probably getting funding down the line. Well, we're excited to follow your story. Uh, I love what you guys have been able to do and the mission behind it. And of course, there's going to be challenges along the way, but it seems like you're you're up for the challenge. That's what makes it fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And and as far as the problem that you're facing, I think it's okay. It's great that you guys are starting direct to consumer. A lot of people that have been on this podcast that have retail products started that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for some companies, for some people, really as operators of a business. Sometimes you don't want to go the retail route. Yeah. Um, so that's a decision you want to make for yourself. Michael Levine, that gentleman I mentioned to you, he's been having Target knocking in his door for years. He doesn't mm. want to distribute to them just yet until he's ready. So uh, you can try that as an avenue. If you have so much demand that you have retailers wanting to distribute your product, you can mm-hmm. make that decision down the line. But mm-hmm. getting it into people's hands, seeing how they react, working on getting your margins down, yeah. I think that's important in the early days, more important than trying to get into some retailer that's going to control your destiny at this point. That's definitely true. 
SoPen.com, S-O-A-P-E-N, great domain, <laughs> by the way. We're excited to order some units because I want to draw on myself too. Sergey, you, you in? Uh, no, I'm not going to draw on you, but I'll draw on myself in the shower maybe with this soap pen. Best of luck. I'm allowed. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, Amina. Of course, thank you.